Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Working our way through a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. Started a few weeks back, started with the Beatitudes. We're going to read them again, even though we're only going to focus on verses 13 to 16, I believe. But we need the context. All right, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now here's our text for this morning. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Ascends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. Let's wake you up this morning. God is good. All the time. All the time. I want to make sure you're with me before I even start. Last time I preached through this text when I was in upstate New York for nine years at a church up there. I preached through the Beatitudes and I was explaining that uh It's not through government, but it's through the church that the kingdom of God comes in power as God's people live as God's people in the world. And someone came up to me the next week, and this is what they said to me. They said, I know we shouldn't spend too much energy fixing up a world that's destined to be destroyed, but I still think we need to pray that God would grant us godly political leaders. Now, I was flabbergasted. I love that word, flabbergasted. To say the least, because as my old mentor Dick Lucas from England said, if I ever preached anything like that, I'm a Dutchman. I've never preached that. I made it very clear last week as well that we need God's people in every sphere of society. That means you need Christians in government. 
You need Christian doctors. You need Christian plumbers. You need Christian lawyers. Amen? What I did affirm with no apologies is that no matter what form of political government we live under as believers, we need not to despair or wring our hands because it seems like we've lost our ability to affect our culture in a good and godly way. Daniel seemed to be used of God in Babylon. Amen? And that was under captivity. God's people are still the salt and the light, no matter what government we're under, whether it's a de- democracy that's corrupt, whether it's um, a government like Assyria or Babylon, where there's dictator. No matter what, we are, as Jesus says here in this text, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. This is what it means. This is the practical import of this. That means we need to stop looking only to government to change society. You get that? Some of us, when our guy doesn't get in, we're so depressed, we're like, that's it, the kingdom of God is done. Right? We need to stop looking only to the leaders in the church. That's another group of people. We think pastors and missionaries, they're going to get it all done. (laughs) Well, I got news for you. If we're waiting for people like me to get it done, we're all in trouble. God called the whole body of Christ to be the church. Can I get an amen? We need feet and hands and eyes and a mouth and a nose. We, we don't just need a mouth laying on the ground. It's kind of funny looking. You know, just a mouth there going, can't move. Need the whole body. In ancient times, salt was vitally important. We didn't have refrigerators. Amen? So they needed that to preserve society. Light is very clearly needed. I lived in, when I lived in upstate New York, they didn't have street lights. Kind of took that for granted here, living up here. And when you go out at night, man, it was pitch dark. You could barely see your hand in front of you. And when you heard the coyotes, you got a little nervous. We are the light of the world. So what I want to show you this morning is very simple. Jesus is teaching. I want to show you this. As citizens of a heavenly kingdom, this is the message, disciples of King Jesus and sons of our Father in heaven, Jesus says we are two things. If we are followers of Jesus, we're part of his kingdom. Listen up, we're two things. We are preservatives in a decaying society. You follow that? We're preservatives. We keep society from rotting. That's the first thing. The second thing we are, we are a light to a world that's lost in darkness. We live in a world that's completely lost its moral and spiritual compass. It's in darkness. And so there's two things that Jesus says we are to be. We are to be salt and we are to be light. Now let me say this. How many people here like Superman? I like Superman. I always like the idea of you could be Clark Kent, you know, this geeky guy with glasses. Oh, excuse me. You know, and nobody really knows who you really are. And every once in a while, you get to pull, shred that stuff off, and then you get to, like, make a big change and serve society. You know and I mean? It's really cool for truth, justice. You know, it's really awesome. And then, but when, when, when you want, you can go back to being just plain old 
Clark Kent. You can mind your own business at the Daily Planet, right? Trip over things, you know, be real geek, and nobody notices you. Or what about when you're an undercover cop or detective? So you kind of blend in with everybody. Nobody knows who you really are until it comes to the moment when you're going to bust them, right? Then you show your true colors and you bust them, but then what happens? Then the jig is up. You lost all your influence because now everybody knows. He's a cop. Well, the truth is we don't have that luxury as Christians. We don't have the luxury. There is no Ultimately, there is no undercover Christian. You understand that? Jesus says, where do you put a light? You don't put it under a bowl. You put it on a lampstand so the whole world can see. There's no undercover. Now, there are secret service agents. We'll get to that later in the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm going to just tease you with that one. But right now, I want to say, according to the Bible, there are no undercover Christians you're eventually going to have to show your colors and we do that in two ways in society and that's what I wanted to get at. we are the salt of the earth the preservatives so that's the first thing now as I mentioned in in ancient times you really needed salt because salt did its job in preserving food so that you could eat it later they didn't have modern refrigeration and in the same way we as believers in society we preserve the world from rotting The world that does not follow God, that rebels against God, that lives in a way that's destructive to themselves and to others. God says that we. That's the the crazy thing. That means you and me keep the world from spoiling. I think that's interesting. And here's one interesting thing. I know if you're like me, don't you feel sometimes, what can I do to make a difference? You ever feel like that? You know, and what Jesus is saying is you make a tremendous difference if you're really mine and you really follow me and you really live the way I call you to live. That's where the rub comes. How many churches know what God says, but they don't do it? Can I get an amen? Amen. The world is literally dying to see a Christian in action. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you are the salt. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. I think this is my longest quote. Hang with me because he puts it well. He says this. This is precisely what the Christian does when he takes his stand for God in society. Listen to this. He makes that society, be it his friends in school, his fellow students in college, his co-workers, or those with whom he plays sports, less fertile soil for other ungodly influences. Your companions will moderate their language. The name of Jesus will not be so easily blasphemed. Those with whom you work will develop something of a conscience about the standard of their work. The conversations of men and of women will be brought under control. Respect for others will be more common. Your life will save others from yielding to the immoral pressures by which our contemporary world is characterized. I'm going to bring that down to earth for you. For many years, when I first got saved, actually got saved in this situation, I was a waiter in a restaurant. And all the restaurants I worked in were were mainly pretty pagan places. You follow me? 
ungodly. But I was a brand new believer and I was marked out. People knew who I was. And so I really didn't have to do much. I just, by the grace of God, tried to do my job well. And I did share the gospel with my lips as much as possible. That got me in trouble sometimes. But, but I remember this one time when I was in Georgia. Lookout Mountain, Georgia. I was down kind of by your way, a little bit more south. And I was in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. I was working at the Fairland Club. They didn't want to say Fairyland because they were embarrassed. But, so they say Fairland. Anyway, when I got mad, I would answer Fairyland Club. And they, you know, anyway, so anyway. So when I was there, I remember I would walk through the kitchen, and, you know, you really quick go through a door, and there was a chef there, a really, really nice lady, um, but she could be a little gruff. And as I turned the corner so many times, she'd be in the middle of using the Lord's name in vain. And you know what she would say every time I walked through? What do you think? Oh, I'm sorry, Santo. I'm, I didn't see you coming. And I usually took that most of the time. And then one time I said to her, now wait a minute. I said, listen, you don't got to say sorry to me. Who do you have to say sorry to? You have to say sorry to Jesus. It's his name you're dragging through the mud and blaspheming. And you know what's interesting? You know what she said? You would think she'd say, take a leap. She said, that's true. That's true. The thing is, you don't realize the impact you do have just by your presence in the world. That's just one little example of how we can be salt in a rotten, decaying society. But look what Jesus says happens if we shrink back. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now here's the issue. What happens when believers cease to live countercultural lives of godliness? And begin more and more to adopt the wicked lifestyle of the world. Listen to this. It says we're good for nothing. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say we're good for some things. It doesn't say we're kind of helpful. It says we're good for nothing. And then Jesus uses very strong language that I'm not going to flinch from. He says you're good for nothing but to be trampled on by men. Now, isn't that interesting that he would say it like that? And I often wrestled with this. And I I heard one preacher and I thought, man, he's got his hand on this. Listen to this. What happens? We start living lives of godliness by the grace of God. Not perfect, but we strive. We hunger for righteousness instead of lusting after um, immorality. Amen? We start mourning over sin rather than partying over unrighteousness. You got me? And all the things Jesus says we're to be in the Beatitudes, what happens is the world turns up the pressure because they don't like it. You remember Rudy, the movie Rudy? Rudy Rudiker? You remember he worked so hard with the scrub team that the rest of his, uh, rest of his uh, teammates said to him, dude, can you, like, tone it down a notch? Remember what he said? You're making us look bad. In other words, lower the standard, man. And that's what the world will do when we live the way Jesus calls us to live. What are they going to say? Tone it down. And what's funny is, not funny, it's kind of sad, even in the supposed church, you're going to find religious people, the light starts shining on them, and it shows their hypocrisy, and it shows that they ain't living it. So how are they going to treat you? So what we're tempted to do is we're to say, hey, maybe I need to tone it down so I don't experience the persecution. You follow me? But here's what Jesus says. If you tone it down, don't think that that's going to lessen the pressure. 
Because you know what's going to happen when you tone it down? Even the world is going to say to you, I thought you were a Christian. How come you're living like this? And the, the, the world is going to mock you. The world is going to say, <laughs> some Christian you are. I remember when I first got saved, I was hanging out with a non-Christian girl. And I remember just sitting next to her on the couch, and she said to me, shouldn't you be looking for a Christian girl? Ouch. You know what I'm saying? To this day, I've never forgotten that because that was a stab in my heart, and I needed to hear it. And that was just a little one. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? You remember when he first fled the city of destruction, right? And he fled, and there were two companions that came with him. Obstinate, cool name, right? Obstinate. I don't think I want that name. But the other one was kind of worse. It was Pliable. You remember Pliable? Oh, he wanted to go to Mount Zion because it sounded so beautiful, Mount Zion. And as soon as things really got tough, what did he say? I got a better back. I'm going back to the city of destruction. And when he went back to the city of destruction, you remember what happened? All the town's members mocked him, laughed at him, treated him like a fool. And so what Jesus is saying is, you have come to me. You know me by grace. You are the salt. You are the preservative. When people misuse you and mistreat you for my name's sake, what did he say earlier? Rejoice and be glad because what? Great is your reward in heaven. See, here's the issue. I'd much rather have a reward there because it lasts. This world, I know you young people don't realize it, it's short. It's going to go by quicker than you know it. Unrighteous people, the people of the world who don't know Jesus, they got to get all they can now. You with me? Because they ain't get, what they're going to get in the future is not pretty. And what Jesus is saying to us is we are the salt. We are to display. And here's the interesting thing. Earlier in the Beatitudes, he's telling us how we will be blessed when we manifest these beautiful things like being merciful, right? Instead of being judgmental and not helping people. He says we'll be blessed. But in this passage, he's saying the world will be blessed when we live as Christians. Isn't that awesome? It's not just what's in it for us, but it's what's in it for the community, what's in it for the world. Here's the issue. And I know you have to resonate with this because you're a human being. We so badly want to fit in, don't we? We so badly want to be cool. Don't think I don't feel good every once in a blue moon when a young person, you're the coolest pastor. I'm like, oh. But then what happens is I start liking that. Amen? And then I get tempted to want to fit in just like everybody else to want to be accepted, to want to be cool. We don't want to let our color shine because then we're going to have to take the heat. Dr. Lloyd-Jones put it this way, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. You get that? We think by fitting in, we're going to reach them. Guess what happens when we fit in? We end up needing to be reached. It's when we stand out in stark contrast, when we say no, this far and no further. 
The world may laugh and mock, but this is what's going to happen to you. I promise you, in the name of Jesus, if you live like this, I promise it will happen eventually. I'm going to go back to when I was in a restaurant. A couple of the guys that relentlessly mocked me for my faith. Relentlessly. I remember downstairs, no people around. We're setting up a table. All of a sudden, this waiter who always maligned me, guess what he did? He started pouring his heart out. And he started asking me advice. You follow me? He mocked me in public. But who did he go to when he needed real advice? He went to the man he knew he could trust because he knew Jesus saved him. You follow me? Because he was a gen- as messed up as I was, I really did take it. I believe this. And I believe the real Jesus. And he knew it. His brother, his younger brother. I told some of my folks this story, but that's all right. I repeat myself all the time. I remember I was setting up tables as a, um, for the banquet. And his brother, who mocked me almost every day, came in. And he says, okay, how do you do it? And he's pacing like this, like Dave likes to pace when he's on the phone. How do you do it? And I said, do what? He said, how do you be born again? Oh. Stopped everything, didn't it? You are the salt of the earth. You're a believer. Jesus doesn't call you to be the salt. You are the salt. (laughs) All right. Second and last thing. See, told you it'd be quick. You're not only salt, you're light. Look at verse 4. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, I like to use this illustration with my folks here, but since there's a bunch of new folks here, let me tell you this. When you have a light, when you have a candle in a dark place, do you put them all in the middle of the room and heap them up in one place? Or do you spread them all around in the different dark rooms, the crevices, so that we could see and not bump our knees? You spread it out. You certainly don't cover it up, do you, with a bushel? But it's not even logical. That's how absurd Jesus saying it is for Christians to hide the light of Christ that is within them from a dark and a dying world. You are the light of the world. Here's the interesting thing I want to talk about. A lot of times we talk about sharing the gospel in word and in deed, right? We could tell people the message of Jesus' death and his resurrection, or we can live such good lives that will attract people. In the Bible, the Bible does not make such a sharp distinction between word and deed. It should be all of a piece. You follow me? Our lives should be an example of what we say. We should preach by our lives, and we should preach by our words. Don't forget, this is a sermon. (laughs) Why are we hearing this? Because Jesus sat people down and spoke words. Can I get an amen? amen? But there's no doubt that there is a stress here, and the stress here is on doing. Because a lot of us get good at, amen? I always like to say, a lot of this, not enough of this. But Robert Mary McShane put it this way, the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. Can I get a little ouch? Because I got to ask myself, do I make it easy for people to believe in God? 
Am I pouring myself out? Am I giving myself up for my Savior who said, if you lose your life, you'll find it? Amen? You know that whole old saying, if you were convicted of being a Christian in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's all about not only talking about it, but being about it. This demonstration needs to take place, Jesus says, in the world. You got that? In the workplace, at school. When you're playing sports. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a Christian sports league? Anybody? I've seen some of it, and I'm, I've seen some of the guys. I'm like, dude, is this a Christian sports league or what? For some reason, they just think they could just turn off their Christianity. I don't think so. We need to be light everywhere. We need to be examples. Sometimes we talk about full-time Christian service. You know what we mean by that? A pastor, right? Preacher, a missionary. The reason I don't like full-time Christian service, that term, is because if you're a Christian, you're in full-time Christian service. If you're a Christian plumber, if you're a Christian carpenter, just ask victims of Sandy. They're thankful for Christian carpenters. Amen? I can go and pray with Miss Ann, but I can't help her put her sheetrock up. And same thing in my house. I could pray for my house, but I couldn't fix my crawl space and my heater and my uh, air conditioner. But we need people who can permeate and put light into all those places. When I'm about to be operated on, I'd love to have a Christian nurse. You know? who could pray with me and assure me and encourage me. Stories told upon visiting a lighthouse, somebody said to the keeper, aren't you afraid to live here? It's a dreadful place to be. Not really, he said. Listen to this. I'm not afraid. We never think of ourselves here. Never think of yourselves. How's that? The person said. And here's how the lighthouse keeper answered. We know that we are perfectly safe and only think of having our lamps burning brightly and keeping the reflectors clear so that those in danger may be saved. Wow. That is a good description of the Christian. We need to stop worrying about our comfort, our safety, me, I, me. And we need to get out of the salt shaker and we need to become lights and set it up on the hill where it's needed most. People say such things. Why are you moving to Atlantic City? Why wouldn't I move to Atlantic City? Can I get an amen? The light is needed everywhere. Apparently, the light is really needed there, too, because <laughs> they need to shine a little revelation on their darkened minds. Here's the interesting thing I find in this text. Two things you may not have thought about, and that's this. There are implications of Jesus' teaching. When he says we are the salt of the earth, and then he says we're light of the world, that means something. That means... That the world is in darkness. Right? If we're the light of the world, and light is needed in the world, that means the world is filled with spiritual and moral darkness. Now I'm going to preach. 
So why in the world would we as Christians take our cues from a messed up, darkened, blinded world when it comes to defining what marriage is? Can I get an amen? Why would you go to them? They're in darkness. When it comes to to asking, why did God give us the gift of sex? Why would we go to the world? We're supposed to tell the world. The world's not supposed to tell us. But how often in the church... We look just like the world. You picking up when I'm laying down? Here's another thing. People delineate what God has the right to do and what God doesn't have the right to do. Guess what? I don't have to listen to people. Because you know who God is? God. (laughs) Wow, that was profound. He's the creator. The clay doesn't tell the potter, why'd you make me like this? He's the potter. He's designed it. He's the creator. We don't get to make God. He made us. We need to maintain the distinctiveness of followers of Jesus. And here's the issue. I want to say this. I'm almost to an end. I'm hanging in, hang in there with me. Here's how we're to be different. I remember, again, one time somebody sat me down. Pastor, I want to talk to you. I said, okay, you know, what's going on? I have an issue with the way you dress. I'm like, seriously? He said something along the lines of, you're very countercultural. I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, I, because I wore a tie-dye t-shirt. I'm like, that's countercultural? A lot of people are wearing them today. Another thing was, you play that worldly music. I'm like, oh, define for me what worldly music is. And we got a good discussion about that. And so basically why I bring this up is because sometimes we think being different from the world is we, we wear black hats if the world wears white hats. You get it? We have this sanctified kind of music, and they have this, you know, bad music. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It goes way deeper. I'm going to tell you what Jesus is talking about because it comes from the text. Listen to this. This is how we will be different and distinct from the world. Instead of celebrating sin and shaking our fists at its consequences, we need to mourn over it. Remember what he said? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Just like our Savior mourned over sin. Instead of exalting ourselves in pride and acting like we got all the answers and never admitting that we're wrong, we need to acknowledge our poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in Spirit. Amen? Instead of craving power and unlawful pleasure like the rest of the world, we should be craving what? Righteousness. You see how we're to be different? Instead of kicking people when they're down, listen, this is important, especially for the work we do. Instead of saying, well, they did it to themselves, Let them lie in it. We are to exercise the same mercy that we need from a holy and righteous God. Amen? That's how we're to be different. We may be persecuted like the prophets before us, but here's the cool thing. Then then maybe, just maybe, we'll have the same impact on society that the prophets did. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if our world was changed by our lives the way that the world was changed by Isaiah and Hosea and Daniel and Ezekiel? 
I'm going to close with this. My brothers and sisters in, at New City Fellowship, I'm going to talk to my peeps for a second. Is that all right, guys and girls? I'm going to talk to my peeps. I can't thank God enough that you've come with me on this journey this far to reach a lost and decaying world. And I just want to invite you to go further up and further in and to be a community of salt and light and to join in a world that needs us desperately. We have folks like folks from South Carolina that see what we're doing and they come because they see Jesus is at work healing and saving and showing mercy. And all I say is, let's do this. Now, you may say this is impossible, and I say amen. Alone, it's impossible. With Jesus, nothing is impossible. And the question is, will you trust him? Will you lay it on the line? Will you be a real citizen of his kingdom and give up your old life and receive the new life that he gives you for free? That's the question. This week, team, you're going to have opportunities to be salt. You're going to have opportunities to shine light. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are the salt of the earth. We thank you that we are the light of the world. And we are to share good deeds that people might see them and glorify you, our Father, not us, because they see God is at work in the world doing his gospel ministry through his saved, sanctified people. Oh, God, may we indeed not make an idol out of comfort and peace, personal peace, but may we pour ourselves out like you did, like broken bread and poured out wine for a dying society that desperately needs Jesus and his touch. Be with us, Jesus, to that end we pray. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.